Hello everyone and welcome to Eat, Read, Stream, Repeat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Chloe. Uh, this episode we're going to do a bit of a chat about uh, Wrinkle in Time, both the book and the film, which we've both been uh, having a look at this week. Yeah, but first we've got Reading, Stream and Repeating, where we talk about things in pop culture that have captured our attention recently. So Chloe, what have you been consuming? So currently I am absolutely riveted to the telly every time we put on the latest episode of The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh, it's so good. So great. I can't believe I'm having to suffer this week by week nonsense of like a normal television it's outrageous so for anyone who isn't aware it is by the same people who made the oj program the oj what was it what was it called um american crime story is so, something of oj simpson yeah, i don't know so there's the, there's the american crime story is like the overarching kind of yeah. program thing so it's the same people that made the trial of oj simpson special this one the assassination of gianni versace starts in fact with the episode where you see the assassination of gianni versace and then they're sort of going back in time to see the murderer andrew kunanen who is played incredibly well by darren chris in this program erstwhile of glee but a completely different role. Can't cannot begin to tell you. So you're sort of travelling back in time to see his where he's come from and what sort of happened in the lead up to this assassination that he carries out. Um, he killed quite a few people to it. So it's incredibly tense. Like I feel like I'm currently being like crushed by tension every time we put an episode on. It's very slow paced in that it takes a lot of time and a lot of shots of Darren Chris's face doing like working out how to react to yeah, this. So I've said, so I I've guess said he's this. a sociopath or whatever, yeah. but he doesn't know how to make the things. And he goes from having a just incredibly blank, creepy face to suddenly being like really animated and charming mm. because he's clearly just like learned how to ape it. But anyway, if Darren Chris doesn't win an Emmy for this, yeah, I am. I'm going to write it's a stern. Incredible. Matter. I feel like the the name of the program is a little misleading because it is about Gianni Versace's murder, but it's really about Andrew Cannon and kind of it's like how to make a murderer. Yeah, kind of. but I suppose everything everything they're showing you is is lead up to this. why why yeah. he kind of like yeah. turned out to sort of he planned this this big Yeah. It's so creepy. I I'm a little bit behind, but very much every week I'm like, I know I've got this to look forward to. Yeah. In a weird way, because it's it is creepy, so you don't enjoy it necessarily, yeah. but At the same time, it's not a barrel of laughs. No, but you're absolutely like just riveted to the yeah. screen. I've had a pretty good week actually, media, because I also saw I Tonya finally. I'm like Ooh. the last person in the world to I haven't the seen cinema, it. <laughs> but that was fabulous. And Margot Robbie and Sebastian Stan are brilliant in it, and Alison Janney is obviously the best thing ever. Queen, she's Alison Janney. And I also read uh, Golden Hill by Francis Spufford, which kind of wasn't what I was expecting at all. Because it's actually a book about like taking people's expectations and turning it against them, and that's kind of the whole book is built on like building expectation and then like subverting it. Mm. But it's written in the style of an 18th century novel about this guy who goes to New York as a trader and sort of starts to insert himself into society with uh, with some of the money lenders and things who are there who are going to sort of give him the money for his trading. But he's sort of very where's he come from and who is he and everything else and these sorts of things. It's great. I absolutely loved it. Like the first 50 pages, I was like. Mm not sure about this like do I like am I that bothered to read it and so many people recommend it to me I was like no I have to keep going and then as you kind of get through that the first time the book kind of takes it a completely left turn you're like what <laughs> hold on and then it continues to do so every time you think you know where you're going with it it takes you somewhere else and it's, it's, it's a, I really really enjoyed it I thought it was great okay so yeah I've had a, I've had a good week 
Cool. I have, um, I always, I love a cooking show and I love a baking show. I am a massive fan of Great British Bake Off, but only the original. <laughs> um, but I've rediscovered my love of baking shows thanks to Netflix. So I started with Nailed It, which is six episodes and it works on the basis of like the contestants have to recreate like amazing bakes but they're not very good bakers they all kind of know they're not good bakers some of them think they're great bakers but I just find it it could have been really cringy so it's hosted by a comedian called I think her name's Nicole Byer and she's the host and there's a French pastry chef who is like the he's like a chocolatier isn't he yeah he's the main judge and then every week they have a guest judge and so they have two tasks so the first task they usually have to recreate something small so one time they did like emoji cookies so they had to make the cookie and then do the icing of like the emoji on the front they look like a pirate yeah cake pop or something like a small cake and then the second task they have to make something bigger (laughs) (laughs) and so so it could be like sometimes it's like a wedding cake or whatever and basically they're all terrible (laughs) but the show has got such heart and it's so much fun and everybody on the show is having fun it's very low budget like the producer comes in and out it i think he's the assistant producer his name is wes he's very good looking he has a very flirty relationship with nicole it is ridiculous so when they do the big challenge who sometimes someone does incredibly badly in the first challenge so they get like this buzzer if they're having difficulty during the second challenge where they compress it and so for two minutes Nicole will go and annoy the other two contestants and just like chatter in their ears pick up all their stuff shout at them like make jokes Um, and it's just it's just like I found it really joyful and I was a bit worried that it would be mean but it wasn't it wasn't. And Netflix have ordered, like, it's been good enough that Netflix have ordered, like, a second series. Yeah, it's um, one of these weird things where currently just everyone we know is watching it. Yeah. Like, I just keep seeing people but mention it's just, it. like, in the last episode, the guest judge, like, at one point, he has to leave, like, he has to leave the filming of the show to go and pick up his kids because his babysitter's fallen through or something. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And then he just goes and he comes back. And, like, he's bought them, like, milkshakes or coffee or something while he's in that. And he comes back and finishes. And in the very first episode, the guest judge is like wandering to have a look in the pantry and everything else. She finds these pans and she's like, I'm having those. Oh, well, <laughs> she just takes I don't them. know who she is, but she's like this quite older woman. And she's a wedding cake designer. She's a wedding cake designer and her wedding cakes look amazing, but she's hilarious yeah she was good um yeah she's just like these are fantastic so that's really fun and then from there i went on to zumbo's just desserts which is an australian show with a dessert chef called zumbo and co-hosted with rachel koo and it's kind of master chef meets great british bake-off essentially they're making amazing desserts and again it's in two rounds so everybody competes in the first round and then the second round and the bottom two have to make a recreate a creation of Zumbos which are always mad and involve like multiple things but it's really good and there's only one series of that at the moment but yeah uh, lots of baking stuff and then I've been reading loads so I just finished all my April reading there's some fab books out in April I really loved Charlene Teo's debut Ponty which is set in Singapore across kind of three timelines like a mother and a daughter and the daughter's friend when she's a grown-up absolutely brilliant 
lo- there's loads of great books out in April, so it was quite hard to get to ten. I'm taking one. Quite, I'm taking quite a lot. Of yes. Wow. One that I didn't get around to reading that I really want to read is the new Juno Dawson Clean, which is Gossip Girl meets Girl Interrupted, which I was like, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. And also, it's like an absolutely beautiful book. It's got like completely foil cover in like this kind of bronzy, goldy, rosy gold kind of color, and it's yeah, lovely. So yeah, lots of lots of like comforting stuff and lots of really good stuff so for the main part of the episode now we're going to be chatting about wrinkle in time Uh, so obviously the film has just come out over in the uk it's been out in the states for a little bit longer a few weeks and the book is much older um we talked about this before when we did our roundup of what we're looking forward to in 2018 that the book seems to be very american as a staple like every american kid reads it and it's kind of less so over here mm. kind of seems to be their version of narnia essentially it's one of those kind of yeah. like over here like every kid kind of has some every kid but like a lot narnia of the, Lord of the Ring, lord of the rings here i think lord of the rings has gone stratospheric I wouldn't say it's Lord of the Rings I would say Lord of the Rings is a lot older yeah as of the well Hobbit, yeah maybe. in terms of age yeah but I would say it's, so it's that kind of book that as a kid you either read it or you know something about it or you've seen it like mm. you know, they did school with a play or something you know me there will be spoilers ahead. yeah we are going to discuss the plot of the film and the book in detail and like where they differ and everything else so if you care about spoilers then switch off now and skip to the end where you can hear us pitching some rubbish stuff that we love or uh, go and see it or in fact read it or one of the other and then come back anyway so the basic premise of both book and films they differ quite widely but the basic kind of premise is that mr murray who is the father of meg and charles wallace and is a famous physicist and his wife is also a famous physicist they are a science couple which is nice and he has disappeared the length of time for which he's disappeared is different in the two things but that's the thing there are some pretty nasty rumors kind of floating around about where he's gone and like because he ran away with another woman and everything else and their mother seems to be sort of very grounded in this knowledge that he's coming back and is able to shrug it all off continue on with her life the children are finding it much more difficult particularly meg who is very close to her father and is sort of having a rough time as kind of a young teen girl anyway so she's been having trouble at school she's kind of angry and miserable she's upset within herself as well she's sort of is very angry and kind of self-hating i guess it's probably too strong a word but Mm. you know kind of has all of those things and and she's sort of acting out a lot with school and everything else Charles Wallace is her younger brother and again I think in the book in the film they're slightly different ages I think he's been aged up very slightly in the film he is I guess the easiest way to describe him is genius but it's kind of so much more than that like he's very emotionally intelligent as well as like very book clever and he meets three strange women Mrs Watsit, Mrs Who and Mrs Witch who are sort of not of this world mm-hmm. not of kind of any particular world and they say they can help charles wallace and meg find their father so they do something called tessering which basically means that they describe it like if you have a piece of cloth and each end of the cloth it would take you a while to get across it if it was miles and miles but when you bring the two ends together you can kind of jump across so yeah. it's like a wrinkle in time yeah it's kind of an adventure story where they go and they rescue their father but during the rescue charles wallace also gets captured by the darkness called the it and on the journey is a guy called calvin who is at school with meg and has a crush on her uh, 
group also goes along to help them out. So that's kind of kind of the basis of the, the book and the film. But then they're really, really, really different. So some of the sort of bigger differences are... I mean, so in the book, for starters, there's two middle brothers who are fairly incidental to the plot and whether they're there just to sort of provide a normal backdrop against which you see the fact that Meg and Charles Wallace are quite different who knows but anyway they've been excised completely from the film they sort of don't exist the film implies that meg and charles wallace or one of meg and charles like definitely charles wallace yeah but we're not sure about meg Meg is adopted but it's never really made into sort of big deal because they're you know they're a family it doesn't matter sort of how they came to be they are a a very strong family unit in the film mr murray has been gone for four years yeah, so, it, well, in the film, he's been gone completely for four years. In the book, he's been gone for a long time. They've had letters from mm. him because he was working for the United States government and the military and he would go off to secret places he couldn't tell them about, but they would get messages that he was okay and everything else. And in the book, he's, it's been a whole year since they've had a message. Mm. And they sort of have these nosy neighbours where the postman is like, oh, no letters today and things. So that is... That's sort of a fairly big difference in the film. It's him and his wife have come up with this theory together and they build it in the shed mm-hmm. and they have this wonder about the universe that they share and you see them talking about it. And in the book, it's very different to that. And she's a scientist and she's at home doing things. But in the film, they've put all these scenes in where the parents are together and are discussing their theories. and Yeah, everything. about tessering and kind of what is the key. So the idea is they can, correct me if I'm wrong, Clay, their theory is that they can tessa with their minds, and that's the theory that Mr. and Mrs. Murray are working on. Mrs. Murray, played in the film by Gugun Bartha Raw, is a little bit more down to earth, I would say, than Mr. Murray, played by Chris Pine, whose whose eyes have always looked like they're staring into another dimension, and now we know why. Um, <laughs> he is a bit more like excitable about the theory and so there's one particular scene sort of a flashback or just a a scene to give you some knowledge in the film where they are talking about their theory to an audience made up of there are military folk in this audience and politicians and she's very kind of cautious and is, is setting it up and he sort of bursts he can't hold back any longer and he's like guys we think we can do this and so everyone thinks this guy's a little bit yeah he's a bit of sort of the the mad scientist kind of like visionary i guess Mm. well visionary it turns out because he's right like (laughs) he'd been a madman if not and she's kind of the more logical one who wants to persuade people about their their theories and it's funny because in the book and i remember this particularly but in the book she's it's so funny because the mother's this and Meg compares herself to her mother all the time because her mother's described as having this like long fall of incredible auburn hair mm. and violet eyes. And if you've ever read any kind of fan fiction, you know how hilarious it is that that's the description in the book. Obviously, the big difference, I guess, now we've mentioned some of the casting, is okay. that in the book, all the characters are, are white. Yep. In the film, they are not. <laughs> Which I think is a, a nice change. It brings everything up to date. So the film is directed by Ava DuVernay. Um, and she was saying that there, she didn't feel like there was a a children's film, like a classic children's film, where she saw herself represented when she was a child. So she wanted to make that film. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. I've read a lot of, like, sort of critiques of the film and things, and they all seem to forget this really important point that it is a children's mm. film, and it's supposed to be for a child audience. And it's not a perfect movie, no. There are things that are rocky about it, and there are moments where it's slightly awkward and things. So it's not perfect, but I really enjoyed it. 
I, I found it to be really charming. I was kind of swept away with it yeah. and I sort of bought into the whole thing. I, I was the same. I And I went in making a mental note to myself to remember that it is a children's film because I'm used to seeing stuff that like children can go and see. So like, for example... The Marvel films, like, are clearly for an audience of all ages. Mm -hmm. And you sort of forget that that kind of, like, heightened tension and, you know, fight scenes and stuff have to be presented very differently when you have a pure children's film Mm -hmm. that is is made for the eyes and minds of kids. So, yeah, it wasn't, like, amazing, but I thought it was very, very good. I really liked it. And it reminded me of... It reminded me a little bit while I was watching it of The NeverEnding Story... In the, it is this sort of adventure quest film, and obviously the different stories are completely different things about it, but with this kind of level of menace that's created by like slightly creepy and untoward things, like there's a scene in the film where they arrive on the planet where their father is being kept trapped by the darkness, and they walk into this sort of cul-de-sac of identical houses and the children all bouncing balls in exact perfect time, and it just sort of echoes round and round and round, and it's a, it's really unsettling, it's mm. really creepy, but it doesn't have to be violent or horrific yeah. or anything in order to be unsettling and creepy children are gonna get that so i think what the film what does well and and obviously this comes from the book is i think people might sort of think oh well the you know the big bad in the film and the book is the it but i think that's so such a kid's thing that kids are afraid of like this unknown thing mm. that they will not always give a name like you'll be like it scares me and so yeah. I think that's like quite a, a clever little yeah. touch in the yeah. narrative and and that it is essentially kind of a dark mass when it's when it's in physical like physical mm. form and I say that in quote well, it's kind of a dark spreading mass but it affects people in different ways yeah. so they talk in the film particularly they sort of show scenes of people being affected by the it so it's like the girl that lives next door who's really mean to meg yeah and that's because that it makes her feel insecure so you see in the film that this girl is actually has a chart on her wall that says something like don't eat sweets don't it's eat sweets don't eat sweets or something yeah, yeah. anyway it's all about her not snacking and carbs yeah so she's obsessed with this her, thing yeah and you see it as well so um so this is another big difference between the book is so calvin in the book, he's got a very big family and he feels completely left out and he doesn't like feel like he fits in. So when he finds Megan Charles Wallace, it's like he's got friends and he feels like he talks about um, the Murray's visiting the Murray's house as like feeling like he's at home for the first time because he feels like, like he's somewhere homely. In the film, you see a flashback scene and you kind of get the impression that the darkness is in his father and like it's his dad yelling at him about not being good enough at school and everything else because everyone thinks he's a popular kid who's good at sports and stuff. But his dad, yeah. you know, is, a, is one of those guys where if you're not the absolute best, then it's not good enough. Yeah, I think he's get, he gets like a B plus and his dad's like yeah. screaming at him yeah. about this. So you kind of see all these scenes where, so you, and then you start to understand that the darkness isn't an external thing, it's an mm. internal thing that everyone has. And Meg has it, not in the way that the darkness has taken her over, which is what happens to Charles Wallace. So what we understand about Charles Wallace is that he is much more like the Mrs. Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's it? And Mrs. Witch. In that he is a slightly different being. He sees the world differently than other people because he's different than other people. And he has this potential. So and then the darkness sees that he has the potential to kind of be part of it. So that he takes him over and literally sorts of just controlling his body and you know his voice and his mind and everything else. 
Whereas when what you start to understand about Meg is that she has all this anger and rage inside of her. And in order directed to... Directed to herself. Yeah. And also her dad. Yeah. And also her mum a bit as well, because her mum's able to kind of continue with life and just be certain about the fact that dad's coming home, but Meg can't see how she can be doing that. So it's got a lot of kind of, like any teenager goes through, like these kind of like feelings of anger. But in order to defeat the it, what people do is you don't fight the it, you have to fight like the bad things inside yourself. And that's kind of the whole kind of thing of it is. And it's that slightly cheesy, but quite nice thing is that what saves you from the back, from the dark things is love. And it's her love for Charles Wallace that sort of saves the day. But in a way it's, in, in the, and that again, I think is slightly different because in the book it's her love for Charles Wallace. And it's in, the, in the film, it's really powerful because it's her love for Charles Wallace, but it's also the fact that she stands up and says, no, I deserve to be loved as well. Yeah. And she explicitly says that and says, no, I deserve to be loved. And the reason I deserve to be loved is because I deserve to be loved. And she doesn't have to justify it. She doesn't have to earn it. And that's a really, like, that's something she hasn't felt up until that moment. So that's kind of quite nice and it's I think that's a little bit different than in the book and I think it's mm. it's quite a powerful moment to see a teenage girl say that on screen so there are other fairly major changes to the book towards the end we do as you're they're sort of saving Mr Murray um so they've gone to this planet the name of which escapes me now Camazots Camazots which is such a silly word I also <laughs> keep wanting to say Camelot <laughs> when I was like reading it in place. my head yeah Camazots Camazots so they're there on the planet. They've found the father, but the darkness has taken Charles Wallace. And in the film, the darkness is... So the whole planet is controlled by this massive brain in the centre of a dome. It's yeah. really gross. <laughs> That's not in the film, which I'm glad about because that was a bit like, real, just nasty. But anyway, so Charles Wallace has been taken over by the thing and they have this moment where they're, it's trying to take Meg and it's trying to take Calvin and it's trying to take Mr Murray, who's been fighting it the whole time he's been there. And he panics, freaks out, things, and he tesses and takes Meg and Calvin away, or he tries to. And it's weird, because in the film we were talking about this, it doesn't really, like, he says, I can't risk both of my children. Yeah, but I felt the moment got lost. But that line isn't really delivered, that, like, it doesn't really stand out, so you have this thing. So you have this moment, and in the film, Meg fights it and won't, and doesn't and sort of falls out of the tesser and stays in the book there's like now a whole other section where he managed to test them away onto another planet in the same kind of solar system and they meet this race of people and meg has problems with tessering she like finds it really difficult and so when they arrive at the planet she's been infected with the darkness and they need to try and heal her and this race of creatures sort of come to their aid and then the one of them that's looking after her she calls aunt beast which is weird. Um, I don't know, it just sounds, I don't know, it just sounds a little bit like scary mm. somehow. And she has all this fury and she directs it directly at her father and it's like this moment where your parents have let you down and you understand that your parents aren't perfect and everything else and they're, and they're talking about it. So it's quite a lengthy section and then she goes back to Camazot's to fight for Charles Wallace. They excise that entirely in the film, probably for time constraints as much as anything else. And she just sort of, in that moment where he trying to drags them off Camazots, she fights it and stays and um, and, and stays yeah, to fight so for I, Charles Wallace. I felt that that got lost in the film. I felt that it didn't really come across as well that, that Mr Murray was only tessering because he couldn't risk losing both his kids. Mm. And it's important to note that 
in the film and the book, he doesn't really know Charles Wallace. Like, no. Charles Wallace was like a, bit, a baby pretty yeah. much when he left. But none of that really came through. And, and there's, there is some anger in the film from Meg towards her father for kind of going away. Mm. But it, I think it's overshadowed by the love she has for him. And I felt that there was a conflict there that was kind of missing a bit. Like it was it should have been there and it yeah, wasn't. It was, it's funny, isn't it? Because and in the book, it's much more explicit about the fact that... So it talks about he actually has this conversation with them. Mr. Murray talks a lot more in the book than he does in the film. In the film, it's just Chris Pine with a beard looking soulful, which is <laughs> fine. That's his job. In the book, so they have this conversation about it where he's been talking about that the it has been trying to break him and he was nearly ready to give up. And you sort of, in the film, you kind of, you see that a little bit in that you, see, you know, he's doing, he's got, he's wild eyed and sort of like a little bit of a mess and everything else. And he can't, he doesn't believe Meg is real. But it's very great. But yeah, so they don't really kind of get into that with any sort of level of thing to understand that he's been fighting yeah. this dark thing for like four years and he's suddenly got his children back and he's suddenly faced with losing them both again, like almost immediately. So like you can argue about his decision, like the things I think it's I think it's fair to say that the film doesn't really do that moment justice. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I think one thing the film does do well. So the book was written in the 1960s and it is like I kind of hate this phrase but it does work it's very much of its time oh, in some ways it re- so re- in particular I started reading it and I was like we should just okay. make, make things that neither of us enjoyed the book so we're going yeah. to be a little bit harsh and now. it is I struggled with it I have to be honest I still haven't quite finished it I struggled with it I thought it would be a straightforward read that I would get through very fast but I was kind of reading a chapter and then not wanting to read any further so it's that it's in particular it's the use of of language in the book so it was fine at the, at the beginning and then Calvin comes along and meets Charles Wallace for the first time and he basically is very surprised that Charles Wallace is very clever and can talk to people because there's kind of a, a rumour around town I, I think Charles Wallace at first didn't really speak to mm. people and he still doesn't really speak to like people outside his family so there is a rumour that he has kind of developmental difficulties mm. but they don't call it that they Calvin basically says to him oh I thought you were a moron and he doesn't mean it's, he doesn't mean it's it in the, the way, way that we say the oh. slangy insult yeah. way that it's used kind of nowadays he literally means it as like I thought you were either yeah. mentally ill, developmentally challenged, or kind of a combination yeah. thereof. And the, and it's not even used like, once. Like, the word, it's literally, there's about a five-page stretch where I think they just keep talking mm. about Charles Wallace yeah. and, like, keep being like, oh, you're a moron, I heard you were a moron. And I was like, what? Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, yeah, it's quite... And Calvin just, he talks and he talks <laughs> and he talks some more. And I don't mind a bit of ludicrousness. Fine. <laughs> Chat away. But it's, I find it, 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 the way it's written is really annoying. And it's a kind of a plot point, actually. It's funny because in the, in the book, Calvin has this kind of thing where he can like talk to anybody and that's almost, that's almost his superpower. And it's this kind of like thing of like, the fact that people think the things that are your flaws are actually the things that can help you fight the darkness. And he manages to talk to Charles Wallace and almost try and get him to kind of like come out of the darkness 
just by kind of talking to him and connecting with him as a person. And they sort of cut all that bit from the film. And Calvin is really just there to like look adoringly at, at Meg <laughs> and sort of hold her hand when she's afraid and like yeah. um and and sort of run after her into like dangerous situations just because mm. he trusts her which is fine it's quite nice which is a nice gender switch from yeah. most films yeah. where yeah so that and, and the other thing about the book is that it is extraordinarily religious I mean overtly religious mm. and so we, we're talking about it being the sort of parallel to Narnia earlier and Narnia is obviously a complete Christian allegory, but it is at least partially veiled in, like, God is a lion. <laughs> this book quotes the Bible just, like, in chunks mm. every so often. Uh, I got a little bit, like, I found it uncomfortable, I'll be honest, to read, because I was just a bit like, this is taught in schools. This is religious indoctrination. I, I found it really interesting <laughs> because it's such an American book and I feel like it's that's so like it super I can, American, yeah. yeah, I can really feel the kind of Americanness to it. So that's 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 largely taken out of the film. I only say largely because I think it's about time we talked about the misses in detail. We should um, mostly the misses from the film. So Mrs. What's It is played by Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Who is played by Mindy Kaling and Mrs. Witch is played by Oprah Winfrey. So the reason I say the religious aspect is taken out slightly is because when Oprah Winfrey appears on the screen, so they all kind of just are able to appear and disappear because they can Tessa and they've got lots of talents. But so you meet Mrs. Watson, she turns up in the film at Charles Wallace's house. On a dark and stormy night, on she a dark just wanders stormy into the house and is like, hello. Yeah, and Charles Wallace knows her, like he know- and in the book as well, he's kind of met the missus beforehand. Mm. Mrs. Who you meet in essentially like an abandoned haunted house, oh, where Mindy Kaling is like sitting there, and it's just a house, and you open, they open the door, and there's piles and piles of books everywhere. She's in, Blossom she's basically inside the house. I, I want to say, I think all the missus are a bit like Chloe's spirit people oh because they God. all wear like loads of layers of like fantastic clothing that you wouldn't put together but it works yeah and she's wearing this shawl it's kind of like embroidered like butter it's butterflies isn't it layers and layers and layers of like embroidered embroidery butterflies yeah. and she's is she knitting or sewing yeah or she's, quilting? she's, she's uh, embroidering yeah and in yeah. the film she's uh yeah. Uh, in the book, she's quilting or yeah. something as yeah, well. Yeah, First time you see Oprah Winfrey as Mrs. Witch, um, she appears in the garden. So the <laughs> other two misses are there, Calvin and Meg and Charles, Charles Wallace. But she appears, like, in, like, a huge form. Like, she's, like... Taller than the house. Taller than the house. Like, out of the glowing. sky. <laughs> glowing. Looking amazing. And I was like, okay, so they, they basically pitch her as kind of a godlike figure goddess-like figure yeah. in the film which is why like i found this the religious aspect in the book yeah. so interesting compared to the film like, no, anyway. we're just gonna make oprah god um <laughs> they are all fabulous like they're, they're a moment wonderful. to just appreciate i think the costuming and the makeup it's on so beautiful the film yeah really lovely so the, the whole thing about the missus is that they are incredibly old mrs what's it is like the youngest the youngest and she's a bit flighty and everything else she's like two billion years old so the others are much much older than they have and they're sort of human forms that they take but they don't have to be like that's just what they clothe themselves in to talk to their the warriors that they collect from around the galaxy in order to fight the darkness but they look just and the makeup 
and the the clothes yeah and, and everything about them is just is beautiful but otherworldly mm. like they always look slightly off. so for example Reese Witherspoon as Mrs. What's It like so her lipstick she goes through like a green lipstick I think mm. I think she's wearing like a blue lip it's always but it's like it's so them but it's so yeah, yeah. and their clothing is asymmetrical yeah. in unexpected ways they have like one massive shoulder and comes out at a peculiar yeah. thing and, and the hair Mindy Kaling's hair she has this like almost like this very struck I want to say kind of a, um, it's architectural it's yeah. like it, it's kind of done like that and she wears this great architectural dress I think the second time you see when her. she runs in the field and has this yeah. huge hoop kind of it, they're like bustles but they're bustles mm. on the side of yeah. her dress and you can see the construction mm. of them they're yeah. not covered yeah. um, and Oprah's eye makeup Ugh. is I die the best thing ever I'm basically I'm going to Yalk this year and I don't think I can full cosplay, but I'm going to get Chloe to help me to do like my makeup inspired by all of the misses. Because I like to put quite a lot of foil on my face. Yeah. This is my new this is the thing that I've been doing recently and I watched the film and I was a little bit like, I am so on point. <laughs> like, I, like I am living for this. So that was very pleasing. Yeah. But they are yeah, they are rendered in a really stunning way. And they have this so this funny thing where misses uh, who is sort of so, so she's old and she thinks and she finds it and she's evolved to the point where translating her thoughts into like human dialogue is too difficult for her so what she does is she uses quotes from other people yeah and she just quotes and things and they are some of so, them are and, really and this, hilariously yeah. chosen and some of and obviously the quotes in the book are completely different yeah I don't think there's any quotes that are used in the film I don't maybe know. there's a Churchill or a like a, yeah, they're using the ancient Greeks, and in the book, the it is given in the original language and the yeah. and English. But she just in the film uses yeah. the sort of the the translation of whoever yeah. it is. And spoiler alert: her her last quote in which just made me tear up <laughs> a little bit was when they're kind of saying it's when they're saying goodbye after like after. Meg has, has succeeded in bringing back her father and in rescuing Charles Wallace and bringing him back. So they're back at home in the garden and, and the missus are saying goodbye. And Mrs. Who says, tomorrow there'll be more of us. Miranda, America. And I was like, oh! And she's <laughs> quoting Hamilton. Um, yes. So that made me very excited. But also, again, and I think we, we spoke about this, I think, during our Black Panther episode. But again, the lighting is in this is, like, so well done because it's a a black film director who understands how that you need to light different people's skin differently based on their skin colour. You need to light different people differently based yeah. on their skin colour. And again, that's part of why all three of the misses, plus, like, Meg and her mom yeah. and, and Calvin and Charles Wallace all look great and the colours in the film I think are good like the garden that the mm. the Murray's garden is like really beautiful yeah. as well I think it's some all the, the landscapes are beautiful yeah. and they visit um, they visit a planet between Earth and Camazots and they have this sort of like and it's and it just everything is lit in this way that feels kind of glowing and magical and yeah, yeah it's lovely it's, it's, a, it's a very very beautiful thing to put into your eyes lush and yeah, I just think, I, I really enjoyed the film. It's definitely a film, I would recommend it to anyone. I think it is like a, a good modern kids film that we don't, that doesn't fe feature like animated cars or animals or mm -hmm. whatever. Like I don't think we do, 
I was trying to think of what kind of things that I watched when I when I was really young and it was all stuff that seemed to have been made in like the 60s, 70s and 80s. So what's that like? What was it called? Um, Return to Witch Mountain or something? Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Like all these kind of classic kids adventure films but they were all very like very British or very American. Yeah, then you've got things like Labyrinth and yeah. The Dark Crystal. and. But Labyrinth, yeah. I wouldn't show Labyrinth to little kids because it's terrifying. <laughs> it is, it is terrifying. Especially the bit at the end where David Bowie is singing and the baby is on the steps and like keeps turning upside down and that really scared me. I don't know what, I I don't know how long is that film recommended for Um, but it's not as scary as The Witches. Um, (gasps) The Witches is terrifying when they take off their masks. (laughs) So when I was younger my, I had a, a, one of those like beds that had storage underneath so my bed was quite high and it was like right it, it was like on the level of my bedroom window and I remember watching the witches and then going to bed and I was so scared that witches were going to fly up to my window and they'd just be able to see me and I was like that's so scary um but this is this is scary mm. but like I think it's manageable scary yeah I think so I think actually just as we were talking about the light and how beautiful and magical it all looked and everything else I remember being really disappointed by the Golden Compass film because I thought it was just a bit drab. Mm. And this film has that kind of like magical quality to it, yeah. the way that it looks, that it felt a bit more special. Yeah. So I we lo- would recommend go see A Wrinkle in Time. We wouldn't necessarily recommend go read A Wrinkle in Time. Although I know lots of people, I know lots of Americans who are like huge fans of it. And it is one of those things, I if you read it as a child and you loved it and it's part of your childhood, you know, you grew up with it, yeah. you love it. But as an reading it as an adult, as a complete newbie to the I book, found it an intellectual exercise to read it, not an enjoyable one. Like yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I'm reading a good book. I'm just like, I'm reading this to see why it's, how it's different yeah. to the film. Um, it didn't take me that, it took me about the same amount of time to read the book as it took me to watch the film. Yeah. And I would watch the film again in a heartbeat. Um, I wouldn't read the book again, particularly. So on that positive, <laughs> which is unusual for both but, of us, because yeah. we're always like read the book, don't watch yeah, the film. We <laughs> I mean, do read the book, but um, like maybe not as kind of not ex- don't expect the book to be like the film if you see the film first. Go and watch the film, and if you see anything that looks like one of the misses would wear it, call me. Yes, yeah, do do let us know. Um, But do also do tweet us at Eat Read Stream to let us know if you enjoyed the film or the book or kind of what your relationship is with the book if you are a fan of it from childhood. Um, But now, something completely different, it's time for 29 Seconds of Terrorizing where one of us pitches a TV programme or film that we love that is both terrible and amazing and this week, it's Chloe's turn. So, Chloe, I am going to get my stopwatch up. Okay. Uh, are you ready? Kind of ready. Yeah. Okay. Ready, set, go. So, this week, I am out to shout about The Librarians, which is the TV spin-off of uh, three, three films, I think, they, which were called The Librarian, which starred Noah Weil, uh, X of ER. So, the TV show is um, a bit naff, sort of fairly low-quality effects but it's about uh, a magical library full of incredible things and people who travel the world uh, solving magical crime essentially and it's ridiculous and fabulous and it stars so- sorry oh! we haven't got time to say who it stars it stars a lot of interesting people so <laughs> look it up 
Um, I've it's, seen the films and they are it's big dumb fun and I, <laughs> yeah. and I just and the TV show just makes me really happy every time I watch it it's just sadly it is not being renewed but I think there's four or five seasons yeah so You've, there's plenty of material yeah. to watch that's all we've got time for but like I said before do talk to us on Twitter Eat Restream or visit our website eatreadstreamrepeat.wordpress.com where we will try and post details of everything we've talked about today. Or you can email us on eatreadstreamrepeat at gmail.com. If you've got a comment about anything in this episode, you want us to talk about something in particular in the next episode, um, or you just want to chat to us about anything in particular really. So we'll see you next time.